Welcome to Celebration International Church. It's my pleasure to greet you today in the name of the Lord. Amen. One day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. God is good. I want you to grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're diving right back into our series. Did he really say that? Matthew chapter 5, the first gospel in the New Testament. We've been looking at some of the most famous sayings of Jesus Christ. Some of his most revolutionary sayings and statements. Some that have been the most prominent and, and things that like jump into our minds, but yet some of the least obeyed sayings of Christ. And what is driving our reflection? over these last several weeks, has been the reality of the resurrection. Someone say amen. amen. For when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he validated his teachings. When Jesus stepped out of that tomb, he basically demanded the world accept the reality of the truth within him. Now the weight of his words can't be ignored. For instance, you can't disregard Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, which says this, that the gate of heaven, the gate to eternal life is very narrow. Hello. It's narrow and very few find it. Whereas the gate to hell, oh, that's easy. That's way wide. That's broad. You don't have to think about going there. And a lot of people are going there. So immediately, okay, turn to your neighbor and say, hello, wake up. Wake up immediately we need to perk up and pay attention because we're not just occupying time here. If he said the gate is narrow, few find it, then the logical question should be for all of us, uh, how do I find it? Can I be one of the ones that gets in? Because a lot of people are not. Can, can I be one of the ones that make it? At least that's what going, those are the alarm bells going off in my mind. So when we come and we gather and when we have a chance to worship God, when we have a chance to read his word, when we have a chance to contemplate him and pray to him, and this is not just an exercise in futility. It should be something that's very important and near and dear to us, something that we need to perk up and pay attention because of the fact that we need to be ones that get in. So what must I do? What must I do to be one of those who get in? Well, he said first off in verse 3, you've got to be bankrupt in spirit. You want to go into the kingdom? You want to be part of this kingdom of heaven? You need to be bankrupt in spirit, meaning you've got to drop your self-reliance. Let go of me, myself, and I, and I, my righteousness, my abilities, my thoughtfulness. You know what? None of that will get you through the gate. Nothing that you do in and of yourself will get you in. Christ's righteousness is what you need. It's what he has done is what we need. It's his finished work on the cross is what we need. And then number two, he goes on to say, verse four, that you've got to be heartbroken over sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Your condition and the condition of the world around you are no laughing matter. What's happening around us is not something that we should laugh at. No, it should bring us to our knees and it should bring us to a place of mourning before God. What we need is repentance. 
You want to get into the gates? You need to be poor in spirit. You need to be mourning what is going on. What you need is only going to grow. And here we get to verse number five. Matthew chapter five. You're there, say amen. Amen. I want you to grab a hold of this revolutionary saying because I believe, like we've been saying, that if we allow it to grip our lives, it will transform our lives. If we allow these words of Jesus to enter our hearts and we believe them, we allow them the space to move within our families, they will revolutionize our homes. They will change the dynamics of our neighborhoods. They will change the culture of our church. Hello. If we allow the words of Jesus Christ to permeate our beings, they will change us and we get a blessing of entering into his kingdom. Amen. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Did he really say that? Yes, he did. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Father, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Blessed are the meek. Sounds amazing. I just imagine those Roman soldiers that were on the peripheral, like on the perimeter of that crowd when he's teaching. Why? Because they they are in control. They are the bosses. The the Jewish people only live under the, you know, good pleasure of of the Roman government. They are the ones who enforce the laws and keep the rules. And when a group gathers, they don't want them to incite violence or rebel and revolt. And so there is an oppression of even those who are ruling around them. And I see these soldiers all armed and all, you know, full of, of, of equipment with their weapons, with the authority within their mouths, backing them up. They hear Jesus say, blessed are the meek. I can imagine those Roman soldiers bursting out in laughter. Let's look at a couple of questions because when Jesus says this, logically some questions come up. Blessed are the meek. Are you kidding me? Our uneasiness with this word meekness, it springs from our English meaning. You know, and if you look up in the dictionary, you might find that it may mean something like this. A person who's mild, moderate, submissive, has these types of qualities to their lives. One definition goes on to say that meek people are deficient in spirit and courage. So you know what? It's awesome when we consider, you know, I'm a meek person. You know, you might want to consider that about yourself and and think about that. But let someone else call you meek. Let's see how you like it. You know, I'm a person that's mild and moderate and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that guy, he is so deficient in courage and spirit. She's she's just so, you know, mild-mannered. She's just so quiet like a church mouse. And you know what? Don't worry about her. You know, we might consider it okay when we think about ourselves in that way, but let someone else call us meek and we don't like it. Because we have this imagery And it's hard for Jesus to say something that when we picture it, it's basically an image of weakness. When we hear Jesus say, blessed are the meek, and when those Roman soldiers probably heard it, and his audience heard it, they're probably thinking, blessed are the weak? Are you kidding me? 
That makes no sense. And it's hard to imagine that Jesus would actually be saying that. Blessed are the weak. And in fact, if you look at the word behind it, that is so far from the truth. What Jesus is extolling here and praising is not being weak. Somebody should get excited about that. Say amen. Unless if you want to be weak and that's what you want to be known for, that's okay. Then carry on, message done, you can go home. But he said, blessed are the meek. See, meekness is not passive submission. It's not cowardice. It's not timidity. It's not indecisiveness. It's not that. The Greek word translated meek, it's the word prowis. And this word is the word that the Greeks would use when they wanted to describe a wild stallion that had been tamed. Picture a wild stallion, okay, in your minds. Imagine all that raw strength bound up in those strong muscles and powerful lungs. Its kick has a force of over 2,000 PSI. I don't know if you've ever been kicked by a horse. I have not, and I don't want to try it. I've seen some videos online of people doing silly things around animals, and it does not look like a fun ride when someone gets kicked by a horse. 2,000 PSI. Get around its mouth and startle it, and a bite from a horse could amputate your fingers. I don't want to try that either. Its powerful frame can carry 20% of its weight, and it can pull 1.5 times of its weight over long distances. A wild stallion can be dangerous. But a wild stallion who's been tamed and under control can be powerful, can be useful, can be a blessing. To all my suburban folks and my city folks that you have never seen a horse, let alone watch Seabiscuit, uh, let me give you a different example. Think about water. Water, when it's out of control, it can devastate bringing floods. But if you harness that water and you put it through a dam, it will turn turbines and generate electricity. Think about smallpox over the history of humanity. It has wiped out millions and millions of people, but you take smallpox and you put it in the context of a vaccine and you control that thing. And now it has saved millions and millions of lives more. See, strength under control is powerful. Meekness carries this imagery, a stallion that has been tamed. It is strength under control, power under control. So with this perspective, I want you to consider what Jordan Peterson, psychologist and modern commentator says. He says this, that uh, those who have swords and know how to use them, but keep them sheathed, they shall inherit the earth. Those who have swords, not only I have a sword and I carry it around just because I want to look the part, but you know how to use it. You are a master at using it, yet you keep it sheathed. You shall inherit the earth. That's quite a different picture than blessed are those who are just meek and mild. Strength under control. Jesus is inviting us You want to be those who inherit the kingdom. You want to be those who are going to be receiving the blessings of comfort. Going to be receiving the blessings that I have for you. Then you have to be those who understand strength under control. 
And then everybody said, Lord, have mercy. Crickets. See, it's, it's, th- this, is, this is how countercultural, especially in today's day and age, when we want to be the most boisterous, the most powerful, the most strong, we want to put ourselves up and, and have everybody look up to us, and it goes against the grain. So what, what does this look like practically? Let's get practical here. What does it mean to be meek? What does meekness look like? Well, first and foremost, it's a person divinely controlled. We might not like this idea about meekness and strength under control because uh, who is doing the controlling? Hello. Abraham, think about him. He's a great example. He kind of comes in like a wild stallion. He comes in, he's bucking against God. He's, he's coming into this relationship, much like a lot of Christians when we enter our relationship with the Father, is we come in often wild, rough around the edges, and we're not fully trusting, not fully obeying. We, you know what, are not truly trying to let him on, to have his way. Think about Abraham, Genesis 11 through, through 22. When God calls Abraham, he gives him a command. He says, look, man, I want you to leave your house, leave your father's house, leave your land, leave your culture. I want you to go to a place that I will one day show you. And there I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to the nations and you will be a great nation. So Abraham leaves, but he strings along his nephew Lot. Okay. He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans, but then he takes a lengthy pit stop at Haran. Okay. Upon arriving in Canaan, the land that God had promised him, he immediately leaves Canaan to go to Egypt to escape a famine, and there he almost loses his wife to Pharaoh. Okay. Well, then he finally gets back, and he's there, and there's still no child. How can I be a father of a great nation if I don't even have a child? And I love my wife, and she loves me, but we are trying, and there is no baby. So let me just take this into my own hands and figure something out, and let me just go ahead and enter into my maidservant, and I'll have a child with her. And that has brought pain and suffering and misery to this very single day. I'm following Jesus, but bucking not trusting, not fully obey. Abraham did not fully obey God. But then when you get to Genesis 22, see, there's something entirely different. Now Abraham has received this command. He knows that God's going to bless him, that he's going to make him a father of a great nation. And now God has followed through and he has the promised child. Isaac is here. He is the one that will perpetuate the covenant. He is the one that the blessings and the nations will be birthed out of. He is the line of the descendants that Jesus will come from. There's all of that going on. And now God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice my child. Genesis chapter 22. Sacrifice your child, the child of promise. Give him to me. And Abraham immediately, okay, Lord, let's go. Immediately. And Hebrews chapter, in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham was so ready to sacrifice his son. Why? Because he believed that God had promised him Isaac and he would be a blessing. Therefore, if God called him and took him, God would also raise him back from the dead. He had enough faith that God would not fall flat on his promise. So Abraham 
believed God. See, all these years of trying to trust him and learning how to negotiate and navigate this relationship with God, over the years, God has taught Abraham meekness. He has taught him, hey, look, I am the one who is guiding you and leading you. And if you would just enter into this song and dance with me, then I will take care of you, Abraham. And when he gets to chapter 22, he is ready. Why? Because the man who is meek is a man who is divinely controlled. See, when we come into our relationship with the Lord, we start out in this journey. We're much like an immature stallion who has not been tamed. We're pushing him off. We want to believe some of the things. He tells us something difficult. He asks us something that we don't agree with. He tells us something that is not in our timing. And then we want to buck God off and kick him out of our lives and say, no, I got this. I'm going to do this in my own way, in my own timing, in my own methodology, because I am in control. Psalms 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near you. At times, God may exert some force or may call us to do some things, but those who have power under control are those who say, I will relinquish my control to the master that can guide my life and I will be leveraged and I will leverage that which he has given me. Divine control becomes more appealing than self-control to the person who believes that God is a good master. My question for us this morning as we consider this practically first and foremost is how are we doing in the submission department? How are you doing in the submission department? Are you growing in your submission to God? Why? Because the person who is meek, they are a person who is divinely controlled. Number two, a person who is meek is a person who relinquishes judgment. Again, think about power under control, strength under control. The meek can, yet they won't. Let me say that again. The meek can, yet they won't. Consider Joseph. When he's speaking in Genesis chapter 50, he is before his brothers. Let let me remind you, the same brothers who sold him into slavery, this is what he says. I will instruct, no, sorry, uh, do not be afraid, for for am I in the place of God? Hey, brothers, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as It is this day to save many people. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He's speaking to the brothers who stripped him from his family, who robbed him of his youth, who consigned him into slavery, who brought upon him grief and longing, loneliness, who introduced abuse into his life, who caused him to be falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten. But yet at the same time, God elevated all of these things. God used all these things, like it says in Romans 8, all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Somebody say amen. 
God uses all these things and elevated Joseph to be a mighty statesman in Egypt. Second in command. Wise beyond measure. Revelations from God. And all of Egypt and actually all the land now who's undergoing a famine has to go to Joseph to ask for help. This is the context. He is standing before his brothers, and they are right there. The circles have come full. It has come all around. It's full circle. They're right before him. His brothers are on their knees. Let's shame the devil and tell the truth here. Amen. I believe that we should be able to tell the truth in church. Huh? How many of us have dreamed of such moments? Oh, I can't wait till they're groveling at my feet. Now, you don't, you don't say it that way, but we definitely think it, right? Maybe, maybe we weren't, you know, uh, sold into slavery by our brothers. Maybe we weren't slapped on national TV at the Academy Awards, but maybe somebody maligned us. Maybe you don't have a Will Smith in your life, but maybe somebody maligned you. Somebody, maybe they insulted you. Maybe they defamed you. Maybe they took advantage of you. Maybe they did something against your loved one, your child, your your family member. Maybe they took advantage of your grandma and and robbed her of all her money through that scam. I I don't know. Maybe something. And although we might not have this national moment, maybe we've thought, oh, okay, you just wait, though. You just wait. Just, just, Just wait. I'll get my licks in. Don't, oh, I can't wait. Like, we walk away from that encounter, and in our minds, we're thinking, man, when I see that person again, I'm going to say this, this, and that, and I'm going I'm to retaliate. I'm going to, oh, I'll put them in their place. Don't you worry. My slapback is coming. My, next, my Netflix special has not aired yet, so don't you worry. Friends, the stage was set for Joseph. He held all the authority, yet he says, am I in the place of God? See, life might elevate you. Circumstances will change. So I, like, like, for instance, it's incredible when students are going through all this incredible, incredible turmoil in, in, in high school. And there's all the high school drama. And they think that their life is over. And it's incredibly difficult. And all this other stuff. Guys, the tables will turn. These are not the final years of your life, okay? The things that seem important now will not be important like two days from now. Okay? It, it's, it doesn't, it's okay. The tables will turn. Life might elevate you. And those who were up will be down. And those who were down may be up. And it does not matter. But here's the point. What happens is, what do you do when that time comes? Judgment is not yours. Slow down, Mr. Rock. It doesn't belong to you. For this is what it says. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Isaiah 32, 33. Bless people. Don't curse them. Serve them. Don't judge them. Church, who's fighting our battles? The person who is meek relinquishes judgment and realizes, I don't have to fight this battle. Who's fighting your battles? I want you to take inventory. Who's defending your case? Who is stepping up and speaking up for you? Is it you or is it God? Are you the one who's taking all authority and all dominion of your circumstance or does he have it? 
A person who is meek practically, is divinely controlled, relinquishes judgment, but also is indignant at injustice. See, there's a a difference here. The meek understand that I need to respond gently to personal offense, but with righteous anger at injustice towards others. Think about Jesus. This is what Peter tells us about our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. If you go to your Bibles, you'll find it there. It's in your Bibles. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Amen. See, Jesus could have called down legions upon legions of angels, and he told Pilate so. He told his his oppressor so. Yet he chose not to do that. He endured patiently. He took all of that personal offense for your sake and my sake. Hallelujah. But yet this very same Jesus, he burns with indignation when others are abused. He shows up in front of Pharisees who are keeping people from worshiping God and having encounters with God and who are, you know, elevating the law and focusing on all the wrong things. He says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys are a brood of vipers. He shows up. Look at this. John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Watch. When he had made a whip of cords, if Jesus Christ was to be making anything, he'd be making little tables and chairs and nice little toys for for kids, you know, because he was a carpenter, right? Like, he's making... After he had made a whip of cords, all right, Indiana Jones... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers of money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Do not make it a den of robbers, a den of thieves. See, Jesus, who is there getting beaten and bruised, is meek and mild like a lamb taking on all the personal offense, saying, God, you got me. Yet when he sees the money changers, the religious elite, the the, the mafioso Annas, the, the high priest, who's made a debauchery of the temple system, when people show up to the temple and they show up to the place where there should be the sound of a murmur of prayer, where there should be a solemn dignity. Instead, there's the bellowing of cattle and there is the bleeding of sheep. Instead of people uh, finding a place of brokenness and contrition, instead of holy adoration there is, and prolonged petition, there's just noisiness of commerce. When people who are hungry and desperate, searching for an encounter with God, show up to the temple, the system has so abused them that it's caused them to just encounter greedy opportunists. And men cannot encounter God. So Jesus burns with anger. William Barclay says this, that... Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Jesus was angry and he sinned not. Jesus, he said, I will take on the personal offense, but I will not allow this thing to continue to hurt other people. Isn't that incredible? 
without a righteous anger, sin flourishes. Without anger, people are abused. God is blasphemed and nothing will ever change without us getting passionate about the injustices that's happening in our world and what is going on in the spiritual realm around us. We will only allow sin to continue. Friends, could it be that sin only magnifies, only grows, only multiplies because we're simply just not angry enough? Could it be? If we remain apathetic and unconcerned about the rampant sin in our society, the pains of others, the problems and injustices that's happening in the world all around us, in the world, evil will only continue to spread. In absentia lucis, tenebre vincunt. That's Latin for, in the absence of light, darkness prevails. In the absence of light, darkness prevails. Oh, all of a sudden, things are just going to get better. No, it's not. If the church is not getting angry at the sin around them, they're just going to teach my kids in school all the right things they need to learn. If that's our mindset, we're in trouble. I remember growing up, my parents worked very hard. I remember growing up with my mom. We lived, you know, back in the day. We lived in this little studio apartment that cockroaches would run around. Okay, me and my mom shared a bed with Ninja Turtle sheets because she wanted to appease me. Okay, keep me happy because she couldn't provide something better for us in that moment. I understand the struggle, okay, that a lot of people go through when they're just trying to put ends together, meet and fulfill things, and grow and advance and get something better. But one thing I realized is that, you know, in that time, I had a lot of time to myself because I would often have to be home while she's trying to go out there and work and fulfill and accomplish and and, and attain the finances that we could get out of that circumstance so that her son doesn't have to live in a place where there's cockroaches. So I was very grateful that she always provided and did so much for us. And, and we grew out of that stage and we went to a place where now I don't have to live and, and sleep on the same bed as she is, but I get to sleep in the living room. And my bed is the sofa. And everyone who comes to the house is sitting on my bed. They're dirty clothes. And I have to smell it at the end. But we grew from there. And then we went to, oh, now I get to have a room with my brother, and we are sharing a room. And it was awesome. And just life progresses, right? Like, like immigrants will come to this country to chase the American dream. And, and even if you're of this country, we want to advance, and there's opportunities. And in the beginning, things are hard and difficult. You know what? And one thing I realized, especially in, in that phase of life, we might sacrifice because we have to just meet ends and, and, and pay the bills and, and, and sacrifice so that we can have something better and provide something better. And you know what? I see this happening where parents are working so hard to accomplish something for their families, but then what's happening is we're just entrusting that everything will be okay in my absence. That the boyfriend won't come around and then influence my daughter in however way that he wants, and because I'm over here just trying to make her life better, you know what? That's going to work itself out. The school is going to teach him all the right views and all the right values because I just I don't have time to be at PTA meetings. 
I just don't have time to be there. And I'm not trying to put anyone down if that's your situation. But I'm saying, hey, instead of us just trying to advance and take care of all these things we deem important, there is a life and values and, and something that God is calling us to look at the world and how it stands. And he's saying, I need you to do something about it. There needs to be a holy injustice, uh, indignation within you at the injustice and what is wrong in the world because God needs you to step in as a light bringer and change that circumstance. Bring life into that situation. Not just think that it's going to get better in your absence, but we have to be intentional about doing something about it. I'm grateful that my mom did as much as she could and that she would try to make up for it in instilling values and around the table and talking and every night we're praying together and she is coming back and getting involved as much as possible. I'm grateful for that. In the same way, Jesus says, hey, let the offense that is going towards you, wash it off. Let it be like water off a duck's back. Let it go. But when it comes to the injustice to the world around you, to those around you, when you see something, say something. When you see something, go report it. When you see something, stand up and do something about it. Don't let that person go marginalized and beaten and broken and abused. Don't just say, it's not my problem. I don't care. Be the good Samaritan that says, here, come, let me go. Let me invest of my own money. Let me take of my own time. Let me make sure that you are okay. And that is meekness. It is strength under control. It's like this person that I, (laughs) Chuck Norris, you guys ever heard of Chuck Norris? right? Actor, Texas Walker, right? He happens to be a Christian, by the way. Um, But here's the deal. There's all these memes on the internet about Chuck Norris. Like, for instance, you know, Chuck Norris was once bitten by a snake, and then after five days, the snake died. (laughs) Chuck Norris once threw a grenade into a room of bad guys. He took out 50 people. And then the grenade exploded. Silly, stupid things. But did you know that he's actually a trained martial artist? And one day after he was shooting a movie in a restaurant, he went and he sat down at a booth and he's just having his dinner. A person came by and he says, hey, sir, excuse me, uh, get out of my seat. And he was very rude and very, you know, indignant at Chuck Norris. He said, I want you to get out and, and this is my booth. Chuck looked at him. He stood up. He went and he sat down somewhere else, had his meal, no problem. A few minutes into that conversation, uh, he's talking to his friend, whoever he was eating it. That man comes back and says, you're Chuck Norris, aren't you? He's like, yes, I am. Man, you could have kicked my butt. You could have knocked me out. And you did it. Meekness is strength under control. I will let go of personal offense, but when it comes to that which is wrong in my society, that which is wrong within my neighborhood, that which is affecting those who have no power to say anything or do anything about, I will step in. That's meekness. So let me just wrap it up with some good news. 
This is what Jesus is extolling. I want you to be meek. I want you to have power under control, strength under control. And if you do so, you will inherit all the blessings of the kingdom. You will inherit uh, life, life everlasting. So let's look at what is this? What awaits those who are meek? Besides the byproducts of what we talked about, there's a promise. The blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's the obvious thing. The meek will inherit a future literal earth. When God created the earth, he made it good. He had a plan. He was going to live among men in the Garden of Eden. And he would rule with humanity. Humanity would rule with him. While well, Satan comes in, he lies to Eve and to Adam. And he allows them to be per, uh, you know, twisted and, and, and confused. And they sin while well, they succumb to the enemy, relinquish their dominion, their authority. Now sin has been entered into the world and it's brought with it death and decay and all of these things. And the Bible tells us that the earth waits and it moans for for its transformation, for its renewal, for the day that God will make all things new. There is gonna literally be a new heaven and a new earth. The day where, you know, predators and prey will roam together and be led by children. Imagine a lion and a bear being led by a little boy or a little girl. Imagine you see these ferocious animals over there chewing the cud and eating, eating you know, plants instead of eating meat, killing and destroying. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus, when he fulfills his kingdom, it tells us, Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering. If we are meek and we turn the other cheek and we say, God, I will not allow the offense that's perpetrated against me to be what matters, but that which is perpetrated on humanity and I will do something about it, we will inherit the ability to rule with Christ. We will be, like it tells us in the Bible, don't you know you're going to rule angels? Right now we're a little bit lower, but we're going to get to rule with Christ and we're going to rule over angels, let alone the earth. So you get that blessing in the future, which is awesome. That means relationship with God, communion with him for all eternity, reigning with him, which is amazing. But then what do you get now? There's blessings right now. Stop and think about the meek in your life or those that you consider meek and you're not looking at them as weak. There's a blessing because the meek encounter favor today. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4. He took Moses, who was the meekest man on earth, and he elevated him into a place of leadership where he led millions of people out of slavery. He took Joseph from slavery and prison and allowed him to be the savior of God's people. And the known world at that time through his wisdom as he commanded over Egypt. He took David, a shepherd boy who was meek and mild, the runt of the litter, the little boy in the back of the line, and he anointed him to be king. Now, is God going to put you to lead a nation and be a king and be a queen and all these other things? Maybe. Maybe he'll put you before presidents like he put Paul before emperors. Maybe he'll do all those things because the meek restrain themselves from being the center of attention. Because the meek listen to other people. It's not about me and my and my wrongs and my and what, what's been perpetrated against me, but what's wrong with you? What happened? What did they do to you? Because we listen to others, because we fight for other people, because we build other people up instead of tearing people down, what happens? The meek gain friends. They gain favor. They grow in stature. They have a life that is blessed today. You want to live a blessed life, make your life about serving other people. 
Make your life strength under control. When it comes to you, I don't care. But when it comes to others, I'm all about it. I'm not saying let go of yourself, but think about this. How many people do you want to elevate who are know-it-alls, self-centered, think only about themselves, you know, are boisterous and aggressive. They are belittling everybody so that they can look good. How many of us want to promote them to places of authority in our lives? None. God often places the meek in places of authority and leadership now. It's a foretaste of eternity. But beyond that, beyond their title, beyond their position, beyond all that stuff, if you zoom into their lives, they inherit the favor of friends, the grace of opportunities, a grace of open doors. I don't want to give an open door, an opportunity to a person who's aggressive and self-centered and who care less about other people. I'm going to give opportunities for those who might not even have the ability or the skill set, but they have a heart that is meek. They want to see others succeed. They want to learn and grow and learn how to harness the strength that is within them. They inherit grace, loyalty, and support. Sometimes it's, it's the people who just show others how much they care are the ones that have the most support from those they serve. Lastly, what is it that the meek find? I think this is the most exciting of all of it. If you don't listen to anything else during today's message, then just latch on to this reality and say, Lord, I need more meekness in my life because I want this. See, the meek, they find rest. The meek will inherit rest. Psalms 37. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Think of how great that promise is. Think of how amazing that promise is that we get to find peace. When we place ourselves under God's control, under his dominion, when we submit our minds, our will, our attention, our emotions, when we submit our mouths to him and our hands to him, we find the freedom in God. We find rest that he has for us. We don't have to worry about fighting our battles. We don't have to worry about keeping and maintaining control. We don't have to worry about everything that we do is said right and done right and and fulfilled exactly to the letter. We don't have to make everything work for us or make everything fair. We don't have to know it all. It's like people who who like to, to lie. Like, I wonder, like, do you understand the freedom there is when you don't lie? You don't have to have a big memory. You just get to go through life. You don't have to like second guess every single thing that you've ever said in order to make sure you're not going to get tripped up in what you're saying next. There's a freedom when you just learn to be meek in God. You find rest. I'm going to invite the team to come on up. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. There's a blessing from God in the future. There's a blessing for, from him now. There is grace for us when we submit ourselves to him. I want you to stand with me. I don't know what God is asking of you this morning, but maybe in the area of submission, there might be something that you need to do. Maybe in the area of letting go and relinquishing your judgment to the one who is the only just judge. 
maybe for you, it's just simply saying, God, I have not been angry. And there are times when I should be. I'm not talking about being angry at your wife or your child or kicking the cat because whatever. But Lord, I need to kick some sin. I need to speak up at some unrighteousness. My kids, like probably many of yours, when they were younger, if your kids are grown, my kids love to play with like these blocks. My son has a whole bin of Legos. Thank the Lord I haven't stepped on it yet. Thank you, Jesus. But my, my, my kids love to play with these blocks. And sometimes like we'll build these blocks. Like my son likes to, pl- to play where we're building them and we build these like ramps for his cars or we'll build some houses and garages, like just unconventional things. But then there's times where he says, hey dad, can you build it really tall? Then he's like, whoa, that's cool. And we start building it tall. And you know, every time when we're building it and it starts getting tall enough where it's like, you know, interesting to him, it catches his eye. He starts to like want to go add to it or touch it or, or do something with it. And you know what's going to happen? It comes crashing down because he doesn't have the finesse, you know? He's not tactful. He's a toddler. And it's okay. <laughs> and I'm fine with that, but he isn't. And the minute it falls, there's a tantrum that ensues. And I'm like, dude, you're doing this yourself. Like, let, let me do it. I, I got this. But he goes and he tries to touch it and grab it and build on it and, and do something with it. And it just comes crashing down. And then there's been times where I've said to him, son, buddy, calm down. Buddy, you want it to go tall? You, you want it to be massive? Then, then let daddy do it. Just, just take your hands off. Take your hands off. L- let daddy do it. And I can build it really tall. I think in a sense, there's some of us that maybe God is saying to us the same thing this morning. He says, hey, buddy, my son, my daughter, just just take your hands off. Can you just take your hands off? Can you, let, let me build it right. Let me build it strong. Let me build it wide and tall. Let me build it with purpose and function." Let me build it where you don't have to be picking up the pieces every time you touch it because you messed it up. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. But meekness is you saying, I know where the strength comes from and I want that strength in control. So I will put mine in control and submit to the Father so that His strength can flow to me. Maybe you've got something right now that you need to bring to this altar and say, God, I got to put this in your hand. Lord, I got to put this in your hand. God, I don't want to touch it again. If we ask anything in his will, we know that we already have it. I need a latch onto that scripture. I need to put it in your hands and say, God, you've got this. Help me to have strength in this season.
go ahead. Just, just leave your seats. Come to this altar. Come spend some time with God. It's not a place of merchandise, but this is a place where there should be some contrition and there should be some murmuring in prayer. People finding and encountering the Lord and being strengthened. Amen? So go ahead and go to the altar. Spend some time with God. I got to let this go. And maybe some of you here today, maybe you've never come into a relationship with this Jesus. This man who had all power in his hands. Yeah, he let the offense go in order to build a bridge because he was so passionate at what was wrong with us that he sacrificed of himself to come and open up a way and a door for us. Maybe you've never had an encounter and say, Lord, I, I need to come under this authority that you have. I need a relationship with you because the sins that are of this world, they're in me and in part of my life and I need to let them go. If you've never said yes to him, or maybe you have, and you just said, you know what? I'm taking back the reins. I'm Chuck Norris. I know what to do. I'll defend my case. I'll live life on my terms. And you've walked away from him. Church, don't, don't leave this day without recommitting your heart to him and saying, Lord, I want to submit it all to you. And I want to make myself right with you. I have realized I am poor in spirit. I have nothing in and of myself. I am tired. I am mourning. I am repentive of my issues and my sin. And God, I need to be meek in front of you and show you that it's not my strength, but it's yours. I need you in my life. If that's you, I want you to come to this altar right now and come encounter the Lord. Let's close our eyes. Let's worship him as people are coming, pressing in. I want you to just pray to him, reflect, and invite his work and his will in your life. Father, I pray that you would move upon every life, that God, you would activate every single heart. Lord, you can fight our battles way better than we can. What battles? Like really, what are they? We sang nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Father, I pray that you would move upon hearts and lives today. That God, you would cancel the temptation to take back that which you have called us to relinquish into your hands. That God, we would not be partially obedient and Lord God, spatially obedient to you, but God, that we would be fully, completely surrendered into your hands. Father, I pray that you would cancel every self-reliant spirit here this morning. But God, I invite you to blow our socks off as we see you move in our cases and work in our lives. Be glorified. Be lifted high. Retain, receive, accept massive glory from what you are fulfilling and doing in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name.